Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and today we're going to be talking about Mars moving through the third decan of Gemini. So we are completing Mars's journey through the sign of the twins through Hermes' diurnal domain. We're going to be examining the time frame between April the 6th and April the 23rd. On April the 23rd, Mars will move into Cancer. So today we're going to discuss Mars's square to Neptune that is going to be happening on April the 9th. We're also going to discuss a quite a number of fixed stars. This, this decan is home to quite a few fixed stars that have some astrological meaning. Um, I count at least seven <laughs> that we may be trying to dissect today. So I'll do my best to, to uh, try to tie it all together for you. We will also discuss Mars's trine to Jupiter that is going to be happening on the 17th of April. All right, so let's break it down. We will take a look at the chart. Hope you're all hanging in there, uh, doing well wherever you are, and um, let's dive into it. Okay, so Mars and Gemini. What are we looking at here? Well, if we are discussing the synodic cycle that Mars is, is uh, in the midst of right now, Mars is still an evening star. You can see that Mars is still, uh, you know, behind the sun here, or ahead, I guess you could call it ahead of the sun, uh, depending on your perspective. One, one way we can figure out if it's an evening or a morning star is we can look at the center and is the planet on the right side or the left side of the sun. In this case, looking from center, Mars is on the left side, so it would be the evening star. Um, so evening star Mars is a little bit easier to deal with than a morning star Mars because Mars is of the evening sect. There are many different uh, traditional, um, traditional te source texts that talk about the evening hours being cooler and being moister, which may... Uh, mitigate some of the very hot and dry conditions of Mars. It may slow it down a little bit. It may, you know, cool the anger down a little bit or the speed of the planet, the rashness perhaps. But we're still deal dealing with a malefic. We're still dealing with Mars, which is a planet of bad fortune, you could say, um, malus 2K, uh, where we are dealing with things that come up that aren't necessarily uh, things that we have the results of our actions, I guess you could say. Um, this is heating up our mercurial significations. Mercury right now is in Aries. So Mercury is very concerned with creating a sense of autonomy, a sense of individuality, crafting a new domain where we can kind of be our own bosses and, and guide our own lives in the directions we want them to head. We have one interesting configuration between Mercury and Mars right now, which is called mutual reception. And that is a condition when the planets are in each other's homes. So imagine you're staying at a friend's home and they are staying at your home, like you've swapped houses. You both have a vested interest in taking care of each other's home um, because, <laughs> you know, you're, you are, you know, trying to help your friend out and they're trying to help you out, I guess we could say. And there is also a whole sign aspect between Mars and Mercury right now. There's a whole sign sextile. So this is, um, 
this is a positive condition for for Mars, I guess I would say. But it does kind of just, I guess, lend more, um, I don't know, a little bit more heat to Mercury. Mercury is 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 dealing with some more ambiguity. So I, I would say that the combination of these two planets and signs, to me, speaks to lots of different options, a proliferation of options, but especially in regards to how we want to move forward under our own power. I think that's the key right now. Mars is presenting us with the need to make a choice in this decan of Gemini. Um, one of the things I wanted to explore really quickly in this video is I've been having some thoughts about Mercury and, and about its function. And we're talking about the mercurial home that Mars is visiting right now. So I, I thought it would be appropriate to kind of talk this out a little bit. I think that Mercury in Gemini, uh, Mercury plays the role of the proliferator when it is in its diurnal home of Gemini. It is the explorer. It's exploring all the different options. It is the proliferation of spring where we're seeing these flowers blooming. We're seeing new leaves on the trees. We're seeing all these different options. We're seeing bees pollinate all these flowers. We're trying to visit all these different flowers. <laughs> you know, we're trying to proliferate. We're, we are trying to give birth to something, but we've got so many different options for uh, mates that we might uh, choose as well. Like think about all the birds where they're singing all their songs and trying to attract a mate. Uh, this is why they get so verbal <laughs> around this period of time uh, in the springtime. Now we are still in the solar Aries time, the initiatory phase, but Mars is going through this, this sort of um, end of spring phase uh, where we are trying to figure out where we want to direct our, our action and our energy. So we may be hearing the song of many different birds right now and trying to choose something that we are going to uh, put our energy towards. And um, this is contrasted with Mercury's uh, nocturnal home in Virgo, where we are approaching the fall, where we need to, instead of proliferate, we need to discriminate. We're still exploring. Remember, Mercury is an explorer of all sorts of different boundaries, all sorts of options and things like that. And I think that Mercury is exploring in Virgo what needs to stay and what needs to go. So it is, instead of proliferating, it is paring down. It is eliminating options. And I, so I think it plays both roles. I, I, that, and that is a really interesting way of thinking about things. And you could even contrast this with Mercury and Jupiter, with Mercury and Gemini, or Gemini in general, contrasted with Jupiter's role of bringing order and a sense of unified purpose in Sagittarius, whereas Jupiter in Pisces is um, trying to bring a unified vision, a unified inner vision that is accepting of universal consciousness, universal love, um, that is trying to merge things together in a a loving way that is accepting of the whole. Whereas Mercury Virgo energy is, you know, saying this, not that. Okay. And um, that's been really helping me understand how these, these, these different mercurial and Jupiterian energies may um, conflict or may be in opposition to one another. 
And it also is helping us to kind of feel like what is the antidote to some of the challenges we may be experiencing. I, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend a really wonderful webinar this past weekend on astrological remediation. Um, and there was this was through the, the, the SMART group, which is a Southwest Michigan um, astrological group, or Southeast Michigan, sorry. And um, there was some really great astrologers and astro mages that were giving presentations, and they had a lot of really interesting takes on how to remediate a planet and how to deal with a planet's energy. And that got me thinking a lot about this because one of the presenters, uh, Clifford Lowe, who's a really, a really knowledgeable um, person when it comes to these matters, was talking about different approaches for remediating a planet. And they were talking about making talismans and things like that. Um, but I think I can think about this just as a, a way of dealing with our own life too. I think we are, you know, I think we are talismans on some level too, where we have the, the energy of a planet that is within us and we can choose through our actions to change some things as well. Another panelist, um, Ursula Rising, was talking about just living the planet and living the energy. And one of the approaches they were talking about was accentuating the good parts of that planet or having a, a more contradictory energy to balance and come into equilibrium and homeostasis. So if, if the bad fortune that we are encountering is a proliferation of options with Mars in Gemini that is causing us stress, that is causing us anxiety, you know, this, this Deccan is associated with the card, the Ten of Swords, where we see a figure that is just lying prostrate, uh, prostrate on the ground who has experienced this kind of inability to carry a load, right? An inability to carry the weight of so many options. And there has to be a letting go. So what is the opposite energy of that? What is the, the balancing homeostasis? Well, we only have to look towards the Ten of Wands, which is the opposite decan in the last decan of Sagittarius, where we see a figure that is carrying a heavy load and is a barn eager, is what I like to call this card, the barn eager card, where they're taking this, this energy and they're seeing the finish line towards a goal that they want to achieve. And they're marshalling all their resources to, to, to really finish something. And I think that when we're trying to balance these two energies out, we are trying to think about what is the unified purpose that we want to take action in the external world towards? How can all these ideas, you know, coalesce and combine into a project that we are able to take action on? That unified sense of purpose. And I think that if we bring a little bit of that energy into our life, that may be the, the balance point. Um, so that was, that's one way to deal with it. Uh, another way to think about it would be to accentuate Mars in, you know, an energy that would be, um, oh, I don't know, complementary, or where Mars is in its kind of exaltation, like, like Capricorn or um, Mars in Scorpio where it's in its, its uh, rulership or Mars and Aries, 
And, you know, Mars's energy uh, has to do with severing and separating, leaving something behind, separating those things that which may have at one point belonged together. And when we are thinking about Mars in relationship to Aries, Mars is severing and separating to create a separate identity. So again, this is feeding all of the Aries planets right now. When Mars is in Scorpio, Mars is separating and severing from the body, from potentially bad habits that we may have accrued, from old forms that no longer serve us. So this is another way we could utilize the best parts of Mars is severing from something that is no longer serving us. And in Capricorn, in its exaltation, Mars is, is um, marshalling its energy in a Saturnian way, which is taking responsibility for our actions, uh, having patience, having a plan that we are trying to carry out step by step, and really learning to administrate what we are trying to create and, and be like the generals of our you know, of our campaign that we're trying to carry out. Now, the problem with Mercury, I'm sorry, with a Mercury ruled Mars is that it's scattered. Our energy is scattered in a lot of different directions. I believe Austin Coppock com compared this Deccan's fighting style to a nail bomb, okay, where you have this explosion, but you have all these pieces that are just scattered in so many different directions. And this plays a part in the solution to this too. One of the ways that I like to think about astrological remediation, just from my own intuition, not from really an experience, not from anything that I've necessarily studied, um, is that the planet offers you the, the problem in the decan that it's in and the solution in the decan that it's in. And I'm leaning heavily on myth to give me solutions, I think, as well. Um, I'm reading a lot of Liz Green right now. I'm reading The Astrology of Fate, with, which was written in 1984 and anticipates much of the revelations that happened in the Hellenistic revival of Project Hindsight because Liz Green was so well-versed in the mythology. And those Hellenistic uh, themes. M many of them are based on the mythological and the almost the, the religious devotion to these planets as deities. And it's amazing to, to read her writing um, where she is, like I said, anticipating these techniques that had only been unearthed probably in the early 2000s, late 90s, and that we are still trying to wrap our heads around now, like things like how the Thema Mundi informs our philosophical viewpoint of astrology. Um, you know, things like the, the, the interplay between light and dark within the seasons. In the Gemini myth, she talks a lot about the interplay of twins, the interplay of both the light and the shadow part of ourselves. And there is this battle, this duality, this this almost inability to reconcile the two parts of ourself with Gemini significations. So we feel pulled in many different directions. Now, if we bring the Thema Mundi into this picture, we can see that the Thema Mundi has Gemini on the 12th house cusp. Cancer was the ascendant of the Thema Mundi. 
And with Gemini in the 12th house cusp, we can think about it in this way as well. We can think about it as the time before birth. The 12th house was the house that was on the ascendant before the house that was on the ascendant. So we have some themes of childbirth and labor pains with the 12th house. And we can see this anxiety, uh, this frustration. Okay, T. Susan Chang, another author I've been reading, um, her 36 Secrets book, talks about the three decans of Gemini and the story it being uh, key words that she uses, frustration. Okay, we, we realize we have all these options and we are frustrated with all these options. I'm going to stop my share for a second so you can see these cards clear. Frustration of being bound to by so many different directions we could go. Okay, that's the starting point. In the middle decan, with the nine of swords, we have anxiety over trying to reconcile all these different pathways, trying to reconcile uh, maybe even some of our own daimonic voices that are either trying to pull us off path, like we could experience in the 12th house of self-undoing, or that are trying to encourage us to rise above and transcend those influences. And then we experience what she calls collapse. Okay, Book T and Book of Toth call this card ruin, but this is the collapse of no longer being able to juggle all of those disparate things. And the necessary uh, time has come to make a choice. Now, in the myth, this is, this is very true. We have Castor and Polyduces, or Polydukes, or Pollux, the, the twins, the Discori, right, who are forced to give something up to be able to give life to the other that has been slain. So you could see this maybe as Castor, who has been slain by one of the, the other sets of twins in the myth. And Pollux or Polydeuces has to willingly make a deal with Zeus to spend half the time in Hades, and they exchange time in Hades and time on Olympus. And um, this was really fascinating when I was reading about the sacrifice, the solar sacrifice that happens at the solstice. Now, this is something that Austin Kopic brings up in his very good book, 36 Faces. The face rulers for Gemini 3 are the sun and Saturn. So we have the sun in the descending Chaldean order and Saturn in the triplicity method. So we have this duality of lightness and darkness. Olympus, Hades are the awareness, the ignorance, you know, listening to the higher self and falling prey to the bad daimon or the, the force that is trying to pull us off path and getting us to, to compromise our integrity. And there's a war, there's a battle with this. And I think that there are times in our life where we are constantly wrestling with this internally, but also where we can project this outside of ourselves. This was something that Liz Green really brought up in her more psychological treatment of the myth. Um, Liz Green was a psychological astrologer, but I find her approach, she has a great way of blending the two approaches, the psychological astrology and traditional astrology, because of being steeped in the myth. I think that's the key. And I've been talking about this with some of my 
astrological friends is is we are continually flabbergasted by her deftness in blending these things because she is so knowledgeable on, on the myths. Her takes are really unique. Really encourage you to check out Liz Green if you haven't uh, absorbed her work and then use that as a springboard for studying myth and then also incorporating the, the Hellenistic or traditional techniques. Um, I think if you can do that, you're going to really have a, a, a really uh, rich understanding of these symbols. And you'll be able to, I think with that type of foundation, then you'll be able to start making adjustments in your life as far as like bringing in other things like tarot, bringing in other things, potentially like more modern significations with planets and, and with, um, oh, I don't know, asteroids, if you're into that or something like that, 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 that can be the, the, um, the butter on the bread, but you gotta, you gotta bake the bread first, I think is the thing. Okay. So my point being is that we have this, uh, this treatment in 36 faces with Austin Kopic and and uh, again, I'll flip back and forth between T. Susan Chang, Austin Kopic, and Liz Green. But the point that, that Mr. Kopic makes is that when the sun reaches the summer solstice at the end of Gemini, now recognize that the summer solstice is zero degrees of cancer. So this is the, the buildup to the, the summer solstice. And this is something that I've discussed with my team astrology teacher Chutabhava is uh, Gemini is, a, is an ambitious sign. Uh, we, we tend to think of Gemini as this fickle sign where we can't make up our mind or things like that. No, I, I agree with him that there is this proliferation, this ascension up to the peak moment. Now, that doesn't mean that we will be able to sustain that energy once we reach the peak because here's what happens when the sun reaches the peak. And I want to show you this on my chart here. I'm going to, let's take a look at the sky to get uh, some understanding of this. So let's go to our Gemini period, just where the sun is in Gemini. Okay. So check this out. We're going to go to the noon hour and I'll try to narrate the best I can for those of you who are listening. So here we begin Gemini and we see that the sun along this green line, the ecliptic, is rising in its declination each day. I'm moving forward by a day, and we are ascending. The sun is ascending in the sky. And eventually at the summer solstice, right here, we reach the peak. That's when the sun and the days are at the longest. It is the highest above the celestial equator that it will ever be, and it starts its descend. It's descent, right? It starts, the days start to get shorter. The, the nights start to get, get longer. And we have this um, sacrifice that we were th are thinking of, of the sun, the solar sacrifice, where it's starting to lose power again. And this, is, this really fits in with that myth of the twins, with the need to make a choice and the need to make a choice of what we are going to pollinate so that and what we are going to nurture once we get to the cancer solstice because in that cancer period we we see the union of bringing things together to give birth to something uh, i think that 
one of the things that you can you can think about this metaphorically is let's say that you become very uh, promiscuous like maybe there are some gemini folks out there that have a wandering eye uh, I, I i have venus in gemini so i i can feel this energy when i was younger i, I definitely felt like i could fall in love with uh, people very easily and and my my affections could change uh, quickly you know what i'm saying I, and this is true for information too i could fall in love with a new idea very easily and eventually what i had to learn if i wanted to sustain a relationship was that i had to put i had to make a choice and commit to that relationship and same thing with a, a set of knowledge i had to commit to a a, a, a something that i wanted to um, nurture. So I, I've been able to nurture a relationship for the past decade. I've been able to nurture uh, my desire to learn astrology and things of that nature. And um, it came through making a choice, though. When you commit to a relationship, you are simultaneously discarding the, the other choices. And sometimes that can feel painful because a lot of the times we want to keep our options open, right? That that's the Gemini way is keeping the 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 road open to choosing something else. But I don't think that that is a way to live your life permanently. Gemini and Mercury and Mars and Gemini are playing a specific role. They are showing us options. We are exploring and we are thinking about what it might be like to explore one path or another, but but for the specific purpose of finding out what works for us and what doesn't, what we can sustain and what we can't, what we want to nurture and bring to full fruition in the summertime of cancer. What do we want to give birth to? What lot do we want to choose that we've been presented with, like in the myth of Ur, in the myth of Ur, before souls would incarnate onto the physical reality, they would be presented with a number of lives. They didn't get to choose the lots, okay? They didn't get to choose which lots they had to choose from, but then they could choose which life from what they were presented with. And that, can you imagine the anxiety that that would create when you know that you'd have to experience and go back and experience all the, the joys and the hardships, the 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 gains and the losses, the uh, unions and the separations, you know, choosing, choosing a life is probably something very difficult because you know that you're going to have to experience all that, that pain again. And I think that that's, that is really, I think the essence of Gemini is the anxiety about trying to make that choice. Now, how can we deal with it in a, in a functional way? Well, we can take joy in the exploration phase with the specific knowledge that eventually many of those pathways we will have to let go of. That's the balanced way, okay? Exploring with joy, but also knowing that you cannot do every path. And if you accept that, that's when you start to, to be able to master this area of the zodiac, I think. Same thing with the 12th house. I saw a really nice excerpt from one of Kelly Surti's videos. She's a really fantastic astrologer. She was talking about the 12th house. And she was talking about it being the joy of Saturn. Where if you have planets in the 12th, and I think this may apply to Gemini too. Um, 
the key is is embracing a Saturn like approach, you know, consolidating, taking responsibility for that action, exploring, but then selecting and then discarding the rest. Saturn is the principle of discarding that which is no longer serving you. So there is, I think there is a secret, um, this kind of secret symbolism with Saturn and Gemini, I think. I, I, I just feel a connection with those two signs. It seems like a strange connection to make, but I really think this is another um, way to remediate the, the confusion that we feel with mercurial things is to bring a little Saturnian energy in, bring a little Jupiterian energy in, right? Um, you know, be at this point in this decan, the Saturn energy is important. In the in the first decan, right? In the let, let's see, I'm see if I get my rulerships correct here. But in the first decan of Gemini, we do have a Jupiter ruled decan, so that may be the the key. There is experience the abundance of options, experience the proliferation. You don't have to make a choice. You don't have to feel like you're bound by it. You just need to accept the fact that you are going to be presented with things. In the second decan of Gemini, that is ruled by Mars. So there may be some tension, right? Where we are feeling like, oh man, I have to choose one direction or the next. And then eventually in this third decan, we have the sun and Saturn, where we have an awareness of what we want. And that in turn, makes us reject what we are not or what we don't want. Okay. So that's kind of my esoteric take on Gemini at this point. Um, we will explore some of those things with the, the fixed stars too. But I just wanted to share that because I thought that that was a, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about recently um, with Gemini and with my own mercurial type of placements. Um, I have Venus in Gemini, but also Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars in Virgo. So I was thinking about the, the differences between Virgo and Gemini and the, you know, the proliferation, but also the paring down and saying what stays for the winter that you want to pass on. So the way that I experience that is that I just get uh, a ton of noise. I, I, there is a ton of things, information, facts that I open myself up to. Here's my process. I open myself up to eight different books for one topic, right? And I have this, all this information floating around. I could see all these different pathways. I just did that for you in this video. And then eventually what, what my Virgo planets want to do is they say, which of these facts are important to reveal the essence of what we are exploring? And how can we take all of those things, pare it down to something that can be passed on as a more eternal legacy for people to learn, right? And um, I just wanted to share that because I, in, in examining my own process, I, I hope that it will help you find a process that will work for you and that understanding kind of the essential natures of these signs can really um, be very valuable for understanding how to navigate the natural process that is being asked of you in real time. I think that different situations call for different solutions. Different problems call for different solutions. And if we're always trying to, to uh, use the same solution for 
all these different myriad of challenges, we make, I think we can make a mistake. And, and that's where our flexibility comes in. That's where your flexibility of mercury comes in at this period of time. Okay. So hopefully that will give you a, a decent understanding of Gemini 3 um, about the, the climax of the solstice, the sacrifice that needs to take place of the sun and the return of the night, being able to choose between all the options that you are being presented with over this period of time. If you don't make a choice, the, 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 the danger that you run is that you, you just cannot sustain this anymore. You can't sustain all these juggling all of these balls in the air or has all these spinning plates. And eventually it will, it could lead to things like a nervous breakdown, um, to things like just feeling complete burnout where you just can, you can't do it anymore. You can't sustain it. And I think that when we realize that that is a possibility, it will help us to make a more conscious choice so that we have a little bit more agency when we are experiencing this rather than externalizing it as a fate that, that happens to us then we can deal with it as a conscious choice. This is really the gift of studying astrology, tarot, all of these things, mythology is, is we are trying to internalize it to make it a conscious choice. But again, it is the interplay between being receptive to the, the, um, the terrain that we're offered, the quality of the time that we're dealing with and flowing with that and then also our own um, agency and how are we going to deal with the, the specific terrain that we're dealing with in this period of time. Okay, a couple more details with this Deccan. We have, uh, let me see here. I'm going to get my notes in front of me so I don't look off to the side and make good eye contact with you if you're watching the video here. Um, the, the, Mars is moving through the terms of its own terms through 17 to 24 degrees and then the terms of Saturn. So we have malefic bound lords for this Deccan as well. Um, the face rulers, of course, are, are the sun and Saturn. Toth in Book of T calls this card ruin. The tarot is the, the ten of swords that we've seen. Astakapa calls this an executioner's sword. So that fits with the, the need to have to make a choice to eliminate something. Um, the daimon associated with this Deccan is called Praxadike. And Praxadike literally means the practice of justice, the exactor of justice. It's interesting because only the head was worshipped or venerated. You can think of the ex executioner's sword as having to cut the head off of something, <laughs> like right? So... There may be something where you just you have to you have to behead something. You know, you have to 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 realize where there is a place in your life where just something's not working and you've got to 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 cut it off. Okay. And you have to be careful that you do that in a way that isn't overly ruthless. I think that's one of the the challenges with this, especially with this mutual reception with Mercury and Aries and Mars and Gemini, is in making the choice and rejecting that which which we do not want to bring to fruition, we can be a little harsh. Uh, our words can can be like that nail bomb where we're where we're feeling um, that whatever is not our chosen path that we have to demonize it. I think this is a key. This is a really key point. I don't think it's necessary to make the path that you aren't choosing wrong or the devil, 
or whatever it is, it's okay to just acknowledge that it's just not for you. Doesn't mean that people who choose that path are wrong or less than or that they are out of integrity or things like that. They may be in alignment with their own integrity. And I think that it, it the way that you can navigate this with grace is to just own your own path without having to tear down someone else's path. Okay. This is, this is, I think this is the key. Just get excited about the choice that you've made without even having really to defend it. Do you see what I'm saying? The people who are most confident and most secure in their chosen path don't even really feel the need to defend it. They just go about their business. I'm having to, to really learn that lesson myself. I'm trying to learn that lesson is it's okay for me to follow my own path. Doesn't mean I have to make other path, people's path wrong. I was learning this. This, this lesson is really important for those of us who study traditional astrology. When I first studied traditional astrology, I was very judgmental about modern astrology, um, which I think is some, a natural stage in the process because when you first start studying some of this stuff, you feel like, oh my God, I've found the truth, <laughs> like, right? That's, which is dangerous. Oh my God, I found the truth and I found the real astrology, whatever that means. Um, I'm just thinking back, I'm laughing because of the, both the ignorance and the arrogance of that position. And as I've gotten further in the process, realizing that I'm coming back full circle and understanding that that is one chosen path and other people have other omens that speak to them. And if, if they have really attuned like a radio to more of the modern approaches to astrology and that is working for them and bringing them truth, that's okay, you know? And I really do believe that. I, I, I do tend to be a very thorough person who wants to know the, the root of these things. And that has enriched my practice. But how funny is it that it, it almost has brought me full circle to seeing that, uh, you know, there's many different ways up the mountain. It's, it's, I just, I give a little chuckle to the, the daimon or the spirit or to God or whoever you want to call it, that uh, through this journey, you come back around to acceptance and to uh, grace and not using this as a, wielding it as a judgmental weapon. It's going to make us such better astrologers and diviners and people, right? Um, yeah, it's, there is a, there's real wisdom, I think, in, in accepting that just because you've chosen one path does not mean someone else's path is, is the wrong path. Okay, so let's get to some of the, the nitty-gritty uh, aspectual details, okay? So I, I tell you that story because there may be a temptation right now to wield the executioner's sword um, violently, and that can be directed towards what we perceive as not us or the shadow part of us. And I've seen this happen in various astrological groups too. It's especially prevalent in the traditional astrology community. Um, there are certain staunch traditionalists that will wield this executioner's sword um, very violently and um, reject that which is, does not conform to their very orthodox approach to astrology and 
I feel a strong, um, I feel a strong aversion to that. Now that may be their path. And again, isn't it, it's just so ironic that we can circle back and forth between acceptance and judgment. <laughs> I see myself doing it constantly. Can you see this where we're, we're like, we're like, well, I'm going to reject this. I'm rejecting their path. I'm rejecting the rejectors. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just funny. It's just funny how circular that could be. Right. And so I want to, I'm going to, you know, come back around and say, I love those people too. And uh, that that's their path. It's not the one that I'm going to choose and that's okay. I, I will choose the path of acceptance and I will choose the path of um, appreciating that other people have the right to choose their path. So I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful, but it's always funny to catch yourself in those moments, isn't it? All right. So let's look at the 9th of April and let's see if I can get this uh, show on the road here so that I'm not here for an hour and a half. Uh, okay. So this is Friday, April the 9th, and um, we are closing in on a new moon in, in Aries that it's going to happen on April the 11th. So this is a balsamic moon phase. But the aspect that we are really looking at here is a, um, it is a square between Mars and Neptune. Okay, you can see that here. And uh, we are looking at... Um, this energy here, look at me with my little, I'm sorry if you're listening on the audio, I'm drawing with these like, I'm drawing with um, these new tools that are much clearer than me trying to draw with my mouse with a weird line. Mars Neptune, this is happening at 21 degrees of, of Gemini and 21 degrees of Pisces. And uh, this energy can be felt as potentially a lack of energy, where I, I will reiterate that I find Neptune to be a dissolving kind of influence, where we are trying to um, almost remove consciousness from matter and return matter to the oceanic oneness uh, and I, I don't think it is like the, uh, I don't experience it as this, you know, divine um, sacrifice type of energy. The way I've experienced Neptune is it melts my body into goo and I have difficulty taking practical energetic action. And if we combine that with Mars, it may be that the the weight of our choices, the weight of the choice that we are feeling that is necessary to make right now may reduce us to inaction. It may reduce us to um, feeling a little bit of frustration and hopelessness where the vision of Pisces three, okay, look at this, the ten of the ten of cups, the idealistic vision that you want to sacrifice for is coming really into conflict with the proliferation of directions that you could go in. And that could really just make us be like, what's the point? That's, that's what I feel like this aspect might be. What's the point? But I think the point is this. I think that it's okay to acknowledge that you've been dealing with a lot of different choices. It's okay to acknowledge that making a choice could be painful. 
it's okay to acknowledge that um, we can't do everything, that some dreams have to die. I think this is the death of some of our dreams. I really do. I think this that there are some dreams that we cannot pursue in this one particular life. And that's okay, because by letting one of those dreams go, you, you will be able to put more energy into one that is able to live, that you do want to bring into full term. Okay. Now, one of the fixed stars that we will start, <laughs> one of the seven fixed stars we'll try to make sense of, is uh, at 21 degrees of Gemini, we have the fixed star Bellatrix, which is in the constellation Orion. And uh, what we will look at, let's go back to our star chart for a minute here. And we'll take a look at the 9th of April. And we'll see that uh, Bellatrix, I'm going to have to go forward a little bit in time. Okay. Bellatrix is here in Orion. It is in the left arm. It, is, it forms, forms a pair with Betelgeuse which is the, in the right arm of Orion, the hunter. And when we describe fixed stars, especially when they are of a pair, one of the fixed stars is a little bit more challenging and the other is a little bit more fortunate. Now, in the tradition, they talk about fixed stars on the left side of, of a um, deity or of the constellation or of whatever the figure is that is represented being more challenging. So Bellatrix is in the left arm of Orion. It was called the Amazon star and was associated with female warriors. Um, there is a lot of significations with finding success via a struggle with your shadow, with shadow energy. Uh, there is Bernadette Brady talks about battling for a common cause. Um and this is in contrast with Betelgeuse that we'll talk about later at 29 degrees of Gemini, where there's just a much easier success. That's the right arm of Orion, where you may be able to move under your own power, um, where you have much more optimism, confidence, courage. Not that you don't have that with Bellatrix. It's just that the, the success that you may have comes from dealing with a more a shadow energy, integrating your shadow energy, facing the darkness rather than ignoring it or shifting it aside. So this may be, there may be other confrontations with a shadow like figure where you have to, um, you know, unify, 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 unify. Remember that's the, that's the energy of Jupiter is bringing order, bringing things back into harmony, um, bringing peace it's removing doubt. Sometimes when the, the, the doubt just comes from indecision. So this is going to be about removing doubt by just making a choice, acknowledging the shadow side with Bellatrix, and then allowing what needs to happen next. I think that a lot of the significations I've read about with Mars and Neptune, especially from Ren Butler's book, talks about uh, Mars-Neptune energy being about you know, aligning with the Tao, you know, not forcing the issue, not forcing your, your way, um, aligning with flow. And that's what we're going to see this come up with, with the I Ching later is, is aligning with the flow of nature and following the path that is, uh, you know, the terrain, like, like 
not swimming upstream, I guess you could say it, like going with the current of your life. Okay, so if we move forward to the 10th, we are going to see, uh, and I'm just going to show you here on the 10th and 11th, this is, this is our weekend coming up, that Mars, okay, where is Mars? Come on, Mars, where are you? Where did you go? Let's look for him. Mars is going to be hitting a number of fixed stars. There it is. It's so tiny. And we will take a look here. So Mars, this area of the zodiac here is just filled with stars, filled with important um, significations, astrologically important stars. So over the weekend at 22 of Gemini, we have Capella, which is in the constellation Auriga, the charioteer. Also, this has some significations with Amalthea, the goat that suckled Zeus when he was in exile, being hidden away from his father Kronos so that he wasn't consumed by the terrible father, right? Um, Capella, the charioteer, has some significations with taking a risk, becoming an explorer, independence. So over this weekend, after we have come face to face with the shadow of Mars square Neptune, we may be starting to figure out what getting some clarity as to where we want to move next and realize that we may have to take an independent risk and go maybe against someone else's vision of what they had for us to be able to create the new start that we want to, to bring the whatever we're working on into fruition. We will also see uh, significations with uh, El Nath, right here. Look at these. They're right in alignment with one another. Okay. El Nath is the horn of the bull. So there might be a confrontation that we have to deal with over the weekend where we have to take action in face of the opposition where things come to a point. Those horns are weapons. Uh, those horns are something where we have, are focusing our energy though too. They're a focal point of energy. So again, be careful of conflicts where you uh, tangle with someone else's horns too. I think that could be the other the other thing we could be experiencing. And then the last thing that we have is uh, the, the fixed star fact. I wonder if they have it here. They don't necessarily have it. I want to look at, it's in the constellation Columba. Columba, which is the dove. Now that's going to be in a very southern part of the sky. I believe it's down here somewhere. Um, Columba used to be part of Argo, the ship. So here is, there it is. I think this is the dove down here. There's Columba. In fact, there it is. They, they spell it differently, fate. <laughs> Interesting fate fact. And this is a, you know, this is very far off the ecliptic. So this one may have a little bit less power than El Noth or maybe even Capella because Capella is really bright. But this has some significations that I feel are somewhat similar to to Capella, um, where we're seeking knowledge, we're exploring the unknown. There is some boldness and, and daring associated with this fixed star. So again, that theme is echoed, the exploration theme, where we confront something, but we, we have to uh, leave something behind and we have to go off into the unknown. Right now, Mars is also making a trine to Jupiter in the third decan of, of uh of Aquarius, which is about leaving the past behind. 
So again, there, there may be some something that was once provided stability for you that you have to leave behind and embrace to be able to make that new start. Okay. So that's the, those are the three fixed stars around 22 Gemini. Like I said, a lot going on there. On the 12th, on April the 12th, Mars will move into an alignment with a fixed star called El Nilum. Now, El Nilum is at 23 degrees of Gemini, and it is in the belt of Orion. So if we zoom in, we can see these three stars in the belt. Uh, I believe it's called Mintaka and El Nitak, along with El Nilum. And El Nilum is like the belt buckle of Orion, and there are significations of holding things together proactively solving problems, pulling together a plan from multiple sources. What, doesn't that sound familiar? Now, this is a fixed star that is my heliacal rising star. So this is a guiding force in my life where, where I have, uh, and I explained this process earlier, where I see the different pathways, I see the proliferation of options, and I try to bring them all together into something coherent that we can, be, we can use. So I think that Al Neelam, after the weekend, once we've confronted the horns of the bull, once we have been willing to take a risk and explore through our own independence, Al Neelam will help us to start to, to bring together a plan for what we want to do and what we want to give life to. Because remember, this isn't just a, a sacrifice. It is, it is committing to that which, is, that which we want to give life to. You know, uh, Polydeuces sacrifice was not just giving something up. It was so that he could give life to his brother, Castor, again, because he couldn't bear to live without him, okay? So what are you going to choose to give life to? And how are you going to pull together a plan on Monday the 12th? Now, if we move forward to the 17th, I'm going to go back to my chart. And you can see here, there is the weekend with the, the 22 degrees of Aries here going, and there's El Nilum around Sunday and Monday. And then we get to the 17th, which is Thursday, or no, Saturday, Jeez, <laughs> April 17th is Saturday. And we see Mars at 26 degrees of Gemini making an exact trine to Jupiter. Now, I like this aspect like it very much. I think that this is a, a, a pivotal point where Jupiter is in the overcoming position. It means it is it is right on the right side of center, if we were to look from center. Okay. That means that Jupiter is trying to bring its benevolence to all these martial significations of Mars and Gemini. I think these are this is going to help us to make, to take actions that have merit, that bring us honor, that are helping us to leave the past behind with this seven of swords energy that Jupiter is drawing upon, where we're seeing the big picture, where we're going off into the unknown, we're finally maybe ready to like take a risk, and that risk is going to necessitate a choice. Um, so this is where you may have some bold enthusiasm where you're able to take action on the, those ideas that you've been cultivating. Now, remember, this is after the new moon we experienced on April the 11th, Sunday. 
So over the course of this weekend, all that stuff I was talking about with Capella, Fact, Alnath, it is all in correlation with this new start in Aries 3, with the, the, the lunar cycle in Aries 3, okay? And that, that lunar cycle, I'll talk about more tomorrow. I'm going to do a live stream tomorrow at noon, Eastern Daylight Time, okay, April the 9th. I'll do a live stream on the new moon, so tune in for that. Uh, but just a preview of that, it, it's all about gaining a following. It's all about using your charisma to, to celebrate this newfound independence, okay? And all of these martial things are going to be in an exact trine with it at that point. So this is the time where we may be starting to take action. Uh, you can see also around this period of time, the moon had just passed over Mars. So again, bringing us more attention to this aspect, this Mars trine Jupiter aspect. So again, I think that this is going to be the point where we have the courage to move forward, the courage to launch something new, the courage to leave the past behind and finally make that choice and commit to what we are doing. I think this is one of the pivotal moments. Okay. So let me clear my screen and we will finish off what we're doing here. Uh, if we move forward to the 20th, on the, between the 20th and the 21st, Mars is going to be hanging out around 28 degrees of Gemini, which is in uh, associated with the fixed star Polaris. Now, Polaris was a fixed star in the constellation Ursa Minor, the little bear. This is currently our pole star. So if we go back to our uh, star chart for a minute, and we take a look. We are going to zoom out. We will go to the 20th. And we'll take a look at Polaris here. Now, Polaris is going to be um, right here near the celestial North Pole. Okay, here we see the bears. Here is the Ursa Major. We've got the little bear over here. And here we actually, sorry, the little bear's right here. There it is. Yeah, duh, because it's the pole star. I'm sorry. So there's Polaris right in the middle of the celestial North Pole. This is the, the star that everything in the sky seems to be revolving around. It, it never rises or sets. It just appears in the night sky. And it, it, it doesn't move with the ecliptic. These other stars move with the ecliptic. But when we look at this star, it seems to be staying in place. So it is, a, it is a guiding principle. It is something that will help you find direction. The pole star was always something that sailors used to navigate by. So there may be something that comes up around the 20th and the 21st that is a guiding light for you that will help you to, if you are being true to your integrity and true to your principles, there may, you maybe have an ability to focus on what you want to create moving forward with this conjunction with Polaris. So keep your eyes peeled around the 20th and the 21st for something that will help move you forward, that will give you a sense of stability, okay? That will help you to feel like you're creating from this immortal center rather than these, these twists and turns of fate and fortune, okay? When we move forward to the 22nd and the 23rd, the very ending of this cycle, okay? We will start to see a conjunction with Betelgeuse, Betelgeuse. 
am I going to say it a third time? Betelgeuse. <laughs> and Betelgeuse is uh, in the right arm of Orion. Okay. And here we've got Mars somewhere over here. There it is. Mars is hanging out with Betelgeuse in by projected ecliptical degree at 29 degrees of Gemini. And this is where we may feel that we finally have the power to move forward under our own self-directed type of initiative. Okay, this is the right arm of Orion. You can see the right arm holds this club. He's ready to, to smash every animal. <laughs> like, you know, it's ready to conquer. Um, and again, we have to make sure that we're, I think that the downside of this is that we have to make sure that we're, you know, using our power effectively, gracefully, that we're not trying to overly conquer our worlds. Um, but this is a, a very fortunate fixed star that talks about worldly success, optimism, confidence. So by having the courage to undertake some kind of large task finally in your life, uh, you, you might find that the way forward is, is, is a little bit more uh, unobstructed. Okay, this, this comes up in the beginning of our I Ching. The, the, the hexagram we got this, this week was obstruction or something that's blocked, but eventually the, the blockage give, gives way to flow. So this may be the moment where we are giving, the, the obstruction is removed, okay, that we've smashed through the barrier. We, we've made the choice. We have a guiding principle. We know how to direct our energy in the right direction, okay? So let's finish off our video today. Thank you for hanging out with me today. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to go on this journey with me. Hopefully I've made it uh, accessible and we've taken all this Gemini proliferation and, and whittled it down into something uh, <laughs> more Virgo uh, digestible. We're digesting all of it. So what I want to show you on the screen now is I am drawing, oops, I'm drawing the hexagram number 12. Hexagram number 12 is called standstill blockage, stagnation, uh, misfortune. Oh man, I can't draw today. Sorry. Thanks for your patience. We'll get it. There's a line. There's another line. <laughs> so we have heaven. Okay. The kind of the, the animating principle on top of earth, the receptive principle. And we have a changing line at the top and we have a changing line at the bottom. And we can see we've got this blockage, this obstruction, this standstill that is moving to 17, which is called flowing, adapting, allegiance, loyalty, adaptability. Okay. Now in standstill, we have the heaven rising up to up, up higher and higher, and we have the earth sinking lower and lower and they're just at cross purposes this is this is they talk a lot about heaven and earth not interacting sometimes in the hexagram we see an interplay of the two energies of the trigrams but here they're just at cross purposes so there's probably a situation in our life right now that's just at, at cross purposes which is pulling us in so many different directions that we just can't possibly integrate that right now that's where the executioner's sword comes in and you say i've got to make a choice i cannot continue to put my energy in these two different directions. So uh, it talks about inspiration is moving upwards out of reach. Realization is sinking further below. One thing that we need to do is we need to grow stronger roots. 
Okay, we need to persevere in integrity, even in the face of hardship. There's a quote that comes up in one of the translations. It says, blocking it, non-people. The noble one's constancy bears no fruit. The great goes, the small comes. So they talk about communication breakdowns, blocked or negated conversations, communications. Of course, Mars is separating us from the type of exchanges that we need to have, that Mercury wants to have to create productive commerce, okay? Remember, Mercury is a planet of, of the border, the borderlands, where it is moving in between things and saying, okay, let's exchange. Uh, this is where commerce may be breaking down too, where you, there's not meaningful exchanges anymore. There's a separation from that. Could be that there's negative influences in your life that are sabotaging your progress, distractions, okay? Your best efforts may come to nothing at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the end of the story. That's, that's stagnation. Line one, the bottom line, it says, pulling up thatch grass, the roots are entangled with more of its kind. Constancy, good fortune creating success. So this, there's two different ways of thinking about this changing line. One is that the problems that we're dealing with are very deeply ingrained and, and entangled with other issues in our life. You see what I'm saying? Where I think that this, the way that I could think about this and break this down for you is that we may be conflating many different problems together with one another. So this is this could be where like, oh, you have a bill is due, oh, your mom is sick, oh, you're you know you can't go off on vacation because COVID or or. <laughs> I, I'm not going to get into that. There's all sorts of things I could say about that, where of watching people go on spring break, but neither here nor there, a topic for a different day. Um, and you're conflating all these problems together. And you're creating this sense of overwhelm because you're trying to deal with everything all at once. And when you try to pull up and deal with one problem, you're bringing all these other problems with it. So I think that one way you could approach this changing line is dealing with one specific issue at a time. Like if you've got, uh, if you're overwhelmed by the bills that you have to pay or you haven't uh, organized your finances, deal with that thing in that moment and say, I am not going to be distracted by all of these other things today. This is the one thing I'm going to work on today. If you're distracted by, uh, you know, maybe having an aging parent that you need to help out, say, Today, I'm going to make appointments for my aging parent, and that's the one thing I'm going to work on today, right? Instead of being like, oh, worrying about all these things and becoming completely paralyzed and then not being able to do anything. Another way of thinking about this changing line is uh, that you could be leaving a compromising situation and that important associates may leave with you. That's, that's interesting too. If there's a, a situation that you're in where you're trying to maintain your principles, you may have to make a separation and a split if something is not in alignment with your integrity. And you may find that, yes, there are people that you are separating from, but you may find that people come with you because they agree with your perspective. And that's okay too. If you're in alignment with your own integrity, the people that leave with you are going to be your true people, your true friends, the true people that are really the ones that are going to be able to support you. When you separate with people that, that you just can no longer find harmony with and that, in fact, may be working at cross purposes, it's liberating. 
And those that remain are, are really the ones that you can lean on for support. And I think it's much more valuable to have a few people that you can really lean on, that you know have your back, that you know that you're in alignment with, than to be constantly trying to make all these different people happy that may actually be working across purposes to you. So that's another way we can think about that line. Let's move to line number six at the top. So we've got one thing that's very practical and earthy at the bottom, and we've got one that's more idealistic at the top of the hexagram. This says overturning the blockage before blocked afterwards, there is joy or rejoicing. So this talks about finally overcoming the negative force. Okay. It's, 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 you know, starving the negative force of power. Uh, it's about gathering yourself, making an effort to uh, restore the flow of communication, maybe through that choice, maybe through leaving a situation behind. It talks about staying committed to the good, the harmonious and, and the order in your life. And this is about staying true to your principles, to your integrity. When you're leaving something that you're out of alignment with, you're always moving towards something that you are choosing. You're moving towards your integrity. You're moving towards uh, that which animates you from within. Again, you're always stronger when you're animated with internal motivation than trying to please something external. Doesn't mean we can't adapt to the external circumstance, but if we're trying to create joy and harmony through measuring it against something external, never, it will never, never work. Never, never. Okay. Have the measurement of your success be internal rather than external. That's going to, that's going to save you a number of headaches. Okay. doesn't mean you can't get feedback from your external environment, but ultimately that's not where the, the happiness comes from. All right. So let's talk about hexagram number 17. Now, Heaven and earth is changing to the lake above thunder. So lake was associated with abundance, abundant life. Thunder was like this, this action that was bringing new awareness. It was, it was kind of this like shock of awareness. So this, we may be experiencing this shock of abundance that, that happens, like the interplay between those two energies. And Hillary Barrett says, how are things flowing and how can you move with them? Where are you being nudged and guided? It says following from the source, the internal source, creating success. Constancy bears fruit, no mistake. So it says, how can you honor the flow of life, the events, and align with them? How can you understand where the current of your life, where the current of your inspiration is taking you rather than swimming upstream? You'll exhaust yourself, okay, if you keep swimming upstream. Maybe sometimes just let go of the oars and just allow yourself to float a little bit sometimes. This is about cooperating with the forces of natural change, going with the current rather than swimming upstream, as I said. Again, following from the source, creating success. So your source is always going to be uh, a both an internal source and I think a divine source. I tend to have the belief that, that uh, God or the divine is within you, it's, it's both within and without, as above, so below, as within, so without. But I think that we can hear that voice internally. Sometimes we see it as externalized symbols, but again, a lot of times when we get fixated on externals, it's the externals of form rather than of essence. So I think this is about getting in touch with essence and aligning with essence rather than aligning with form. 
just you don't have to compare yourself to other people either. This is this is one of the things that I'm learning as a, a third decan Leo ascendant. I just be me. I'm just gonna be me and you be you, and uh we'll just go about our ways, right? Um I used to think as a Leo ascendant, I just I, I played the people pleaser quite a bit. And then I always was measuring my success against other people's success, against the applause that I was receiving. And while that is important on some level to, to make sure that you are serving your community, ultimately satisfaction is not something that you can get from any source rather than you and your relationship with the divine and your own inner spark. So keep that in mind as you move forward through this last Marshall Deccan or through this last Deccan of Mars and Gemini. Okay. This is going to get us to the summer where we're, we're being able to bring things into fruition, right? We're, we're going to get to that point where Mercury and Venus are going to make their, their appearances from under the beams and things are going to really start taking uh, visible form. But again, this is going to come from the choices that we make. So make the choices rather than have the choices be made for you or to you. I think that's the key. All right, everyone. That's what I have for you today. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Uh, I so much appreciate all of you, and I hope that I am being of service to you. Uh, the, the thing that you can do the most for me is hit that like button. That, that helps to get this out to more people. I think that's really the key. It's not, it, gives me, it gives me feedback, but that's not what, it, what I'm really asking you for. I'm asking you to, to, to play the algorithm game and hit that like button so more people can see this. Um, if you are enjoying this channel, make sure you're subscribed on the various channels, to the YouTube, to the SoundCloud, to the Apple Podcasts, whatever, wherever you're experiencing this content. Turn on that notification bell if you want to hear these things in real time. Remember, I'm going to be doing a live stream tomorrow, Friday uh, the 9th, April the 9th at 12 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. So tune in for that. And if you want to make a, a donation to the work that I do, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. That is how I am supporting myself right now. Uh, in addition to doing readings, if you want to reach out and get a reading, that's another way you can support the work that I do and also be able to get some information on your path. But buymeacoffee.com is a really cool uh, thing that is helping to keep this content available um, to the masses. So your donations are really helping me to, to buy me time to do this research, to uh, also to, to gain source texts and things like that, to pay the bills, to keep the lights on so that I can be this translator of the stars for you and try to create this, um, I guess, this legacy of information. That's one of the things that's driving me right now is I'm not doing these videos for fame, not doing them for fortune. I'm doing them to create an archive of information that I hope is will outlive me, that will, that will be beneficial for you and for generations to come. So thank you for your support on that. And hopefully we can continue down this road together. All right, everyone, be kind to one another through this Mars and Gemini uh, transit. And most of all, be kind to yourself and, and go easy on yourself and, and uh, go with the flow rather than against the current. All right, everyone, take care. Peace.